0: strongly on assignment this week as I ever have I believe I'm on an assignment for our Father's house so I want you to hear for the next two days very attentively to what the Spirit of the Lord would say to you I'd ask you to not listen for another sermon to be moved by or a word to excite you but to listen to the Holy Spirit as I believe He's going to Speak some things tonight and even tomorrow that are significant for those that are here. Even if you're not from our Father's house, I believe you're not here by uh, by just happenstance. I believe you're here by divine appointment. So uh, I don't want to take long. I want you to turn your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of John, chapter four, and beginning in verse 19. I, uh, I believe that these two messages that I'm going to deliver tonight and tomorrow are very significant. God is raising up a generation of people that are not moved by their feelings or their circumstances. But God is raising a generation of people that are moved by His voice and by His Spirit. That we don't operate out of feelings. Feelings lie to us. The, 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 the cliche of the church is God knows my heart. But you better be careful how you say God knows your heart. More than likely if you're saying that it's because deception is already set in. Because the Bible says the heart is more deceitful than all of the members. Usually that is an excuse to operate in something that is contrary to what is actually the will of God. And say God knows my heart. God doesn't judge you by your intentions. God judges you by your actions. And God is looking for a people that are going to serve him love him and live for him outside of the circumstances that are surrounding them. Too many times we're moved by the circumstances our, our faith is moved by the conditions around us our, our 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 faith our steadfastness, our commitment our devotions, all of those things are moved by things that happen in and around our life. When the storms comes, the attacks come many times we draw back from the body or we draw back from an assignment of God or from a Calling or a purpose, we we it changes our worship. It changes how we come. We come into a service and and we worship based on the mood of how we feel instead of the revelation of who He is. So I, I'm going to talk to you tonight about something that I feel is very. Critical for everyone as it relates to the standpoint of and, and I and I wrote this worshipers without an excuse. And and I want in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 19, I just want to jump right into it without saying too much because I believe the Lord wants to be very accurate and precise tonight. The Bible said, the woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said unto her woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship ye not, what's this, you worship ye know not what? We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. Everybody say the Father Ah. seeks those that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. You understand that means that God is attracted to, He's looking for people that'll worship Him in spirit and in truth. That does listen, I don't believe that God is moved by how much you raise your hands. I don't believe He's moved by how loud you shout. I don't believe He's moved by even the posture of your body. But I believe that He is attracted to people that worship Him in spirit and in truth. Anybody can worship on a mountaintop, anybody can worship when the baby accounts full when when the kids are all doing great when the marriage is healthy when, when you're feeling good and emotionally high if you couldn't worship in an environment like we're in tonight I don't know that you can even worship at all because it would be hard not to worship in an environment like this but I'm telling you God is looking for people that are not worshiping based on an environment but they are worshiping in spirit and in truth in other words it doesn't matter the environment that I'm in, I'm going to remain a worshiper. Whether my world's on fire or whether I'm in calamity or whether every weapon hell has has been regurgitated against me, I'm going to remain a faithful worshiper. I'm not going to be moved from my position and my stance and my commitment and my devotion to the Lord. I won't be sidetracked by the things that are happening in and around my life because God's got to have an army in this hour that we're living in that are going going to serve him not out of feelings or emotions or circumstances but they're going to serve him out of the revelation of his will and who he is. They're going to have to worship Him out of the revelation that God is bigger than whatever I'm going through in my life. God is bigger than marital conflict. God is bigger than my financial conflict. God is bigger than the doctor's report. God is bigger than what's going on in the White House. And God is bigger than what's going on in our social environment. Can I get an amen? God's bigger than the problems we face as a nation and as the world. And no matter what may be happening on the world front, I am going to be obedient to God and I'm not going to be moved because God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God is not reacting. God is always responding. Yes. Woo, so let me just finish that if I can. Verse, verse 24 says, God is a spirit and they that worship Him must. Everybody say must. must. Say it one more time. Must, must. worship Him in spirit and and in truth. Father I thank you for the ability to deliver tonight the word that you have placed within my spirit tonight. That God you would give me the ability to release that word and Father anoint every person in this room including me to hear what your spirit is saying to the church. That God your word would bring forth an unmovable faith in us God that will cause us to be compelled by your spirit to lay hold of everything that you've laid hold of us for. Let us come into the revelation that our lives father under your will are significant to your kingdom and that God that our obedience is absolutely necessary God for thy kingdom to come and thy will to be done on earth as it is in heaven I pray these things today in Jesus name amen and amen again I want to bring you kind of into the context of the scripture because Jesus has stopped at a well in Samaria and he has stopped to minister to a woman that had been caught in a cycle of dysfunction if you may because when the revelation of her of her condition was was revealed by the Lord she had been divorced and remarried five times and was living with a man that was not her husband now I want you to understand that Jesus came to resolve your dysfunction Listen, Jesus didn't come to leave you in your dysfunction. He came to deliver you from your dysfunction. Listen, He may have found you in a mess, but God ain't going to leave you in a mess. You see, religion will let God leave you in your mess and you stay in your dysfunction. But if you're going to follow the true Jesus, He's going to change your dysfunction. So the only way to change her dysfunction was to confront her with the truth. So that's why in the middle of the conversation, he said, would you go get your husband? Because the problem was this woman had been dipping from a well all of her life. And that well was the well of broken relationships that never gratified her. It never satisfied her. It was good for a season, but then it would end. It's sort of like drugs. You, it's good for a little while, but then the high wears off and you need some more. And the problem is the condition of dipping from the wrong whale always leaves you in worse condition than you were when you first started dipping from it. Sin will always leave you in a bad place. So Jesus shows up at the well that this woman was dipping from. It was only symbolic. He was talking about her issue of her broken relationships, her dysfunction. He sets down on the well and he begins to confront her. And you've got to understand something about God. God will always, religion will never confront you, but God will always confront you with the hidden problems of your heart. Listen, religion will sweep it under the rug and call it grace, but God will confront you with it in love, not for the purpose to condemn you, but for the purpose to deliver you. That's why the Bible said you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You see, the problem is we want to be free, but we don't want to be confronted with truth. Truth is more than John 3.16. If you have hidden secret sins in your heart, then then when somebody confronts you with that hidden sin of your heart, that is a truth. Are you with me today? A truth that there's bondage, that there's dysfunction, that there's conflict and issues in your life. Whether it's unforgiveness or bitterness or you're carrying insecurities in your life because what God wants to do in your life is too important and it is too significant and you cannot let those things things remain in your life so because of his love for the woman he confronts her and the biggest challenge that you and I have in in God confronting us and the biggest the biggest tool the enemy use is the tool of religion that's why when he confronted her she understood he must be a prophet but then she said oh but wait a minute I worship on this mountain she even though she was a woman with dysfunction she claimed to be a worshiper I need to preach it in in, in our world. That would be in the same thing when God begins to confront us about things in our life. We will say, oh, well, I'm a Baptist. I'm a Pentecostal. I've been in the church since I was 12, and I've been saved since I was 9. That's usually how we respond to God when God confronts us with things in our life. Woo, am I in the right church? And see, you got to understand some because God's not leaving you where you are. But He is changing you according to the Bible. He is changing you from glory to glory to glory. He is changing you into His image. He cannot leave you where you are. He is, you got to understand, He is called the author and the finisher of your faith for a reason. That means that God can't leave you there. God can't let you stay as you were. He has to change you. He has to grow you. He has to mature you. This is the perfect will of God for every believer in this room. You have been predestined to be conformed into the image of Jesus. He is the potter. You are the clay. The process of transformation never stops as long as we're allowing the potter to mold us. Are you with me today? That's why the Bible said, He that begunneth the good work in you will perform it unto the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, He's going to keep working on you. He refuses to let you stay there. We get comfortable in places of dysfunction. We get comfortable with hidden things in our life. But God said, I can't leave you there. See, that's why people end up backing away from God. That's why churches end up moving a lose, or losing a move of God. Is because they get to a certain place and then they decide, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want that transformation. That's too painful. I'm too attached to where I've been. I'm too attached to some secret thing hidden in my heart. And we put up walls and we, we no longer allow God to deal with stuff. And the way that we avoid it is by telling Him, I worship on this mountain. We, we claim to be worshipers when in fact we're not really worshipers at all. See, he told the woman, he said, you don't even know what you worship. You don't even understand. You're going through the formalities. You're going through the protocol. You're going through the ritualistic routine of the mechanics of worship. But you're really not a, worship, a worshiper because real worship only comes through spirit and truth. I'm going to say it again. It only comes through spirit and truth. You can be in church but not be in spirit and truth. You can be prostrate and not be in spirit and truth. Woo! I need to preach Uh, because listen she even though she was in dysfunction she understood the coming of the Messiah she had knowledge of the Bible you read it in the conversations in John 4 she had complete understanding that there was a coming Messiah she understood about the Jews worshiping in Jerusalem even he said to the Jews we know what we worship but he didn't say who uh-oh, it said what, but it didn't say who. I need you to understand it. Very important that there's a, a unique verbiage in the text here because I'm afraid there's a lot of people that know what they worship, but they don't know who they worship. I'm going to say that one more time. They know what they worship, but they don't know who they worship. They know all about Him. They know all the promises, but they don't know the promiser. Mm, I, I, need to, I need to talk about that a minute. It's different when you know the stories of the Bible. You know other people's testimonies of who they claim that he is and what they declare that he can do for you. But the question is, do you actually know him? Because his promises are only as good to you as your faith in the promiser, not just the promise because if you don't know the character of the promiser then you may not have confidence in the promise yeah. you can know that the promises are God but following the quoting of a promise you'll add an, uh, a conjunction called but to it hello yeah. wow. i know god can but but if you know the character of god it removes the buts out of the yeah. sentence and it declares what he's going to do and See, there's a difference between knowing about Him and actually knowing Him. There's a lot of people that know about Him, but you got to know who He is. you got to know that when He said He's a healer, that means He's your healer. That means He's greater than every cancer. He's greater than every disease. He's greater than every affliction. He's greater than the doctor's report. He's greater than medical science. He's greater than your last three aunts that died from the same thing. God is greater. When you know Him and who He is, then who he is speaks louder than all of the other voices of negativity around you you got to know that when He's a deliverer that He's not just the deliverer of a few. He is the deliverer of every person that knows who He is today. That He does set the captives free. It doesn't matter what the addiction is. Pornography. It doesn't matter if it's methamphetamine. It doesn't matter if it's Oxycontin. I don't care what the drug is. I'm telling you He is a deliverer. Whatever sin you're in bondage to, fornication, lust, adultery, whatever it is, He came to set the captives free and you got to know that the character of who he is will set me free he's not just the deliverer of Lance Johnson but he's your deliverer and you got to know that's who he is somebody shout who he is you got to know that he's a, that he's the keeper of his word and that his love for you when you understand that love then you're not moved Switch brings me to my text There were people continually coming to Jesus throughout the Bible. And the Bible teaches us as they come that they came and worshipped Him. Everybody say worshipped Him. But they didn't worship Him under the right circumstances. They didn't worship Him under the perfect conditions. As a matter of fact, most of them worshipped Him in the most adverse conditions. See, anybody can worship Him when everything's good because see you you count him all gracious when when everything's good in your life but I want to know do you know him when all hell's coming against you I want to know what you think about him when things that you don't understand are happening to you like happened to Job that you don't understand why things around you are dying and things around you are being destroyed and you've been faithful and you've been a tither and you've been a perfect attender and you've been faithful to serve and you've done it all right but in the middle of doing everything right all hell come against you and things begin to diminish not just a little bit but everything unraveled who do you say is when the bank account's overdrawn who do you say is when the marriage is in conflict who do you say is when your children are on drugs see who do you say is when you get laid off from a job after 36 years of faithful commitment and they hired somebody younger to take your place See, I need to know who he is to you when the world's unraveling around you when somebody unexpectedly dies in your, in your life and in your family when all of a sudden you get overlooked for a ministry position you were qualified more than the person they put there I, I need to preach in here when somebody didn't appreciate you how, what kind of worshiper are you then what kind, of, what kind of revelation do you have of God when you're being betrayed by the people that ought to be supporting you that when they ought to be on their knees praying for you, they're sleeping somewhere without praying. I, I need to preach tonight. See, I want to know what is your revelation of Him while they're, while they're abusing you and while they're turning on you and while they're betraying you and while they're critical towards you. Where is your revelation of God at that moment? Because, see, anybody can love God circumstantially, but I'm, I'm talking about loving God in the middle of the greatest battle of your life. I'm talking about being a worshiper when the circumstances are at their, at their greatest and worst condition. The Bible tells us in the book of Matthew chapter 8, there was a man who had leprosy. And the Bible said that when he was come down out of the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper worshiping him. Everybody say, worshiping him. Saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. I need you to understand what it meant for that man to come and find Jesus. A le- Leprosy was highly contagious. It was, it, was, it was literally illegal for them to be in a public environment and, a circum- and, 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 and to be around people. So therefore, they were isolated. They had to be set apart, but yet this man came out of isolation. He came putting his own self in jeopardy, possibly even being locked up and fined with terrible consequences. But yet he came out in public and began to worship the Lord not only was he just worshipping he come to worship what was considered one of the most important influential figures of that day of what would be considered by many Jews another high priest listen and here he comes to worship Jesus do you understand that his worship cost him something his worship required him to break the rules and to come out from isolation it required him to come out and bow down his health is diminishing he's in great pain he's in great, uh, he's in great anguish he's in, he's in great isolation but in the middle of loneliness in the middle of pain in the middle of the physical condition that his body was in the Bible said he began to worship him You see I just want to know can you remain a worshiper based upon the reality and the truth that he is my healer. Can you worship him based on the leading of the spirit instead of the moving of the circumstances that stand in opposition of your worship to him. God is looking for somebody that can press through the feeling, press past the physical anguish, press past the opinions of people and the consequences of what may happen if I worship in this place. My goodness, God is looking for somebody that knows how to remain committed. He's looking for somebody that's not operating out of their emotions and out of their feelings and they're not putting up reasons and excuses. I don't feel like it tonight. I don't feel like it today. And listen, worship is more than prostrating yourself before God. Worship is our yieldedness and obedience to God. See, true worship is not what I do in this room. True worship is how I honor Him with my life. I need to say it again. It's how I honor Him with my life. Real worship comes in doing the will of God for my life. And if I'm doing the will of God, then I'm always going to be a prostrate worshiper. Listen, worship is not, it's not how you were raised. Worship is the revelation of who he is. Because you can take the most, the, the most withdrawn, recluse, and they get a revelation of who he is, and they'll be the most radical worshiper in the house. You see, our worship is not based upon our religious preference. It's not based upon what denomination I came out of or the traditions that I was raised in. Real worship comes out of an expression of the revelation of who He is. I hope I'm in the right place tonight. See, so when you say, well, I wasn't raised that way, what you're saying is you don't even know who you're worshiping. Because I'm telling you, when you know who you're worshiping, it ain't a matter of Pentecostalism. It's a matter of He's my holy God, and He lives inside of me, and He dwells with me. He's my healer. He's my waymaker. He's the lily of my valley. He's the rose of my desert time. Come on, He's my strength in weakness. He's my comforter when I mourn. He's my strength. He is my everything, my strong power. Come on, He is my fortress and my shield, my rear guard. Come on, my waymaker where there seemeth not to be a way. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. (laughs) See, when you know him for who he is, worship does not come as a result of my religious heritage. It comes out of my revelation of who he is. And when I know who he is, then he's bigger than my circumstances. And the Bible said that He came and because He worshipped in the middle of His adversity, in the middle of being unclean, the Bible said He was immediately cleansed. Can I tell you, I'm afraid that most people are not getting a miracle because they don't have a revelation of who He really is. They say they have faith, but they don't have a revelation of who He is. But if you have a revelation of who He is, then you have a faith that brings a miracle. I'm going to say that again. When you have a revelation of who He is, then you have a faith that produces a miracle. Because real faith is not what I acknowledge in my mind. Real faith is what I put my feet to. Faith without works is... Faith without works is... When Jesus wrote to the seven churches of of Revelation and he dealt with them about their spiritual condition, he did not say, I know your confession. He did not say, I know what you did at church last week. He said, I know your works. I'm gonna say it again. I know your works. See, everybody's hammering, not by works, least any man should boast. I don't earn anything by works, but works are the result of genuine faith and revelation of God. Oh, I need to say it again. Now see, everybody quotes Ephesians 2 9. Everybody, not by works, least any man should boast. You should read verse 10. It's pretty profound. I am his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. I'm going to say it again. I am created in Christ Jesus for good works. Somebody say good works. works. Because faith without works is dead. Real faith always produces action and behavior. When people tell me I'm going to really run and jump when I get to heaven, I doubt it seriously. Because if you ain't running and jumping now, you ain't going to run and jump then. Because the same God you're serving right now is the same God you're going to meet in heaven. And if he's not worth running and jumping for right now, he won't be worth running and jumping for then. My God. We told about I'm going to throw my crowns before the throne. I'm going to throw mine right now. Because he's worthy of whatever crowns I may be wearing right now. Y'all need to hear me preach. My fleshly crown. My accomplishment crown. He's worth everything. So why not throw him now? Why not bow down now? Why not sing now? Why not rejoice now? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 9 verse 18. The Bible said again. He spake these things unto them. Behold, there came a certain ruler. Everybody say a certain ruler. The word certain ruler means that he was a ruler of a synagogue. He was a religious man. He was a Jew. If you understand that the Jews are the ones that put Christ on the cross, or at least the physical element of which did so. Anybody with me? It was the religious people that conspired To put together the conspiracies. To take words that he said out of context. And put together all of the conspiracies that would result in the crucifixion of Jesus. Oh my. So for a ruler or a leader of the synagogue to have come out of the synagogue. Now watch what he did. The Bible says that a certain ruler of the synagogue. And I I love this came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay hands on her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. In other words, this man did not worship him out of convenience. It may have been as a result of a need in his life, but it wasn't convenience. His worship cost him something. I need to tell you it cost him his position in the temple because if he's a ruler and a leader and a Pharisee and he's a teacher and he's an administrator, he's going to be persecuted. He's going to put everything he knows in his life at jeopardy. He had to come out of a religious environment that stood against everything Jesus stood for. You understand that system hated Jesus. But now here he comes worshiping Jesus. My God, I need to talk to somebody in this room that can worship God outside of the religious boundaries that your institution created in your life. My God, you can worship outside of the traditions that you were raised in. You can worship in an environment when you know that family's going to turn against you. You see, I'm going to tell you a story. When I got saved, all of my family was very religious. Some of them still are religious. And let me tell you, religion is the greatest tool of Satan in the world. Because religion makes you think you're right when you ain't right. It makes you feel like a worshiper when you're not a worshiper. That's why when when this woman was confronted with her issues and her problems and her sins, that she said, I'm a worshiper. That's what we do when God confronts us that our lives are not right. We say, well, I'm saved. Uh-oh, wait a minute. <laughs> did we just go there? Yeah, I did. Is that all right? You see, that's, that's the dangers of it. But, but I need you to understand, when I got saved, my family was religious. But nobody was really a Christian except my brother and his wife. The rest of us were lost as a ball in high weed. Some of them still lost to this day. Y'all need to hear me. They're still lost, but they'll tell you they're saved. But their life produces no fruit. My Bible tells me you'll know a tree by the fruit that it bears. Don't be coming to me talking about how saved you are and you're still an alcoholic. Don't be coming to me talking about how saved you are and you're still shacked up. Uh, uh-uh, No, I need to preach it here tonight. Because we, we use the tool of religion to hide behind. Oh, and then when I got radically saved because I was the drug addict in the family, I wasn't just an alcoholic, I was a drug addict, gun runner, all the bad thing. I was the I was the outcast of the family because I went completely radical. They just hid theirs behind their religious institutions. I need to say that. My dad hid it behind his religious confession. He was abusive. He was violent. He was angry. He abused us all. But yet he hid it behind the fact I'm a Methodist. Hello, somebody. Because in, in, in the religious world, being born again don't really mean anything. But in Christianity, being born again means there's a change in my life. I was one way one day. And when I got born again, I became a different person. Now, yes, there's spiritual maturity and spiritual growth, but if your salvation didn't change you, you better go back to the altar and get the real thing. So, when I got radically saved in 1990, and I'll close this one out quickly, but when I got saved in 1990, guys, it was radical. But the problem is, when I got saved, I went all in. Everybody say, all in. You see, I can tell you my wife, and she's probably watching tonight. If she were here, she would tell you the, the, the same story. When I got saved, she wanted me home. She didn't want me in the club. She didn't want me in the strip joint. She, she wanted to know I'd come home every night, but she didn't want what she got. She wanted somebody that would be a, a weekend partier, somebody that, 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 that could party and still sin, but have boundaries. But see, when I got saved, they they listen, those kind of there was no, there were no boundaries. God just changed everything. We I went from the drug house to the church house. Uh, y'all need to hear me. I I went from cussing and lying and profanity and evil and anger and violence to, to, to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and living it every day. So when I got saved, my family turned on me. The toughest years of Lisa and I's 36 years of marriage was the first three years of my salvation. I got kicked out of the family, rode out of the wheel, I got thrown out of the family business, all because I got saved. Not because I was snorting cocaine in our business's bathroom. Not because I was dealing dope out of our family business. But because I'm serving God and loving Jesus and talking about what He did through the death and resurrection. Because I promise you, when you get on fire for God, your family will turn against you. Come on, your Baptist family or your Pentecostal family that don't live what they preach when you get radically sold out and you begin to be a light in the middle of that family and in the middle of those people, they're going to hate you without a cause. Now, if you'll be a fence rider and sit on the sidelines and don't open your mouth, they'll never persecute you. But when you get on fire for God and you start living it, when you go pour the alcohol down the drain and you begin to talk about Jesus at the family reunion and you begin to raise your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and your marriage begins to reflect the goodness of God in your life. They wanted you saved, but they didn't want you to be a real worshiper. See, you've got you to have a worship that worships even when family rejects you. See, I'm not exactly sure why preachers quit preaching what Jesus preached. Wow. What was that, Bishop? He didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. You see, because when you get saved, your own family will turn against you. It's not you turning against them. It's them turning against you. And see, you got to be able to worship Knowing that the consequences are it may cost me everything. Can I tell you God needs a generation of people that they have a voice in every sphere of influence in their world? That means I've got a, a, a voice and an influence in my workplace. I don't care if I work for the school system. You can't stop my Christianity. I, I need to preach in here today. You, you, you can't put no prayer allowed on the life of a true Christian. You see, I'm not going to shut my mouth because my truth is, is politically and socially incorrect. Uh oh. I'm going to say it again. I'm not going to change my truth and my convictions because my truth and my convictions offend your political correctness. I'm not going to tone it down. I'm not going to keep my mouth shut. But I'm going to let my light shine in the middle of the darkness. Because how will they know if somebody's not a beacon of truth? How will they know if truth is not spoken? So this man was able to remain a worshipper even at the consequences of losing his position as a temple as a temple leader Are y'all with me today? He was going to lose his religious religious pedigree and his his standard, his, his social environment, his friend. Everything he knew as a way of life, he put it in jeopardy to become a worshiper of Jesus. The next one we find is a woman from Canaan in the book of Matthew chapter 15 verse 22. The Bible said there was a woman from Canaan That came from the same coast and she cried unto him saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Most of us would do anything for the salvation or for the saving of our children. But I need you to look at the experience this woman went through. The Bible said and he answered her, not a word. Everybody say he didn't answer her. And then the Bible says that when he did not answer her, I want you to see this. The disciples came and besought him saying send her away for she crieth after us. Not only did Jesus not respond to her request or her cry. But the disciples, everybody say those that represented Jesus. I'm going to let that simmer for just a minute. How many of us bailed from God? We bailed from our devotion. We bailed from our worship. We bailed from our ministries. We bailed from our calling because people that represented Jesus unjustly spoke to us. How many of us walked away from church because of hypocrites? Oh my. How many of us resigned from ministries, went home with our tails tucked between our legs? Because somebody in leadership that re, that represented him hurt our feelings. You see God's got to have a generation of people that are bigger than disappointments. bigger than rejection, bigger than people misrepresenting the heart of the Lord. I, I need to teach in here tonight just for a minute because listen God can I, can I preach like I'm in in, in, in Ranger Georgia tonight? Oh. God's got to have something bigger than some panty-waisted poopsies, church. God's got to have some people that's got a little grit in their life and a little devotion to God that you're not going to hurt my feelings, you're not going to disappoint me, and you're not going to cause me to tuck my tail and run home because you misrepresented the Lord. That you can hurt me, scandalize me, but you ain't going to steal my worship. You can talk about me, but you ain't going to cause me to run out of the will of the Lord. You ain't going to cause me to separate from where I know that I need to be. It's amazing to me how we can be in a church for for years and that church minister to us and that church strengthen us and love us and walk with us through difficulty and build us up and build our faith and then all of a sudden one day over a misunderstanding or a misrepresentation we take our toys and go home. I need to preach in here tonight that God has to have a generation of believers that said, God, I am going to serve you no matter who tells me to leave or whether you don't answer me or whether you answer me. I have positioned myself that my hand is to the plow and I refuse to look back. Amen. Now, see, I know that offends cuddly, cuddly Christianity, but I'm not here to coddle and to cuddle. That's the job for a pastor. My job is to come in here to to do what I know the Lord told me. He needs a generation of warriors on the front line. He needs a generation of people that are not going to run home the first time the enemy takes a pop shot at them. The first time somebody close to you hurts your feelings. The first time somebody in the church don't meet your expectations. Wow. By the way, that word means sissy. For those that are still struggling with the panty-waisted poopsie thing, look it up. It actually has a definition. It means sissy. There's nothing vulgar about it. If you look it up, it'll have a video of me. It'll be the first thing that comes up on Google. I brought it back into the English language some time back. I even have a shirt that says so. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm just being, I'm just cutting up for a minute just to get you off the If that can offend you, you're fickle. I love you. But I love you enough to tell you the truth. Are you that stinking religious? That somebody who is a guest could offend you with something that your religious stigma is so strong? I'm just done over that statement. Are you kidding me? The devil has got a whole lot worse profanity and evil and stuff. And if you're going to be offended, how are you going to be on the front line storming the gates of hell? How are you going to be on the front line with the combat boots fighting in the middle of the devil's territory who is ruthless and has no kind of tact? But maybe that's why we're not winning the world. Maybe that's why we're not changing our culture. Maybe because we're so easily moved by little things like not getting what we want. Somebody say, Jesus didn't answer. Say it again, he didn't answer. And how many of us walk away from ministry? We walk away from churches. We walk away from family. We walk away from assignments because somebody didn't give us what we wanted. They didn't speak to me. They didn't play my song. They told me, listen, they didn't put that class in place that I told them they should have put in place. I'm out of here. Wow. So we didn't get what we wanted? We didn't get what we asked for, so we just quit worshiping? So we just go home to our our demon-possessed families that are dying? See, in that light, it seems different, don't it? But it's the truth. Jesus didn't answer. Disciples said, Send her away. And how many times when we don't get what we want, maybe it has to do with that we have raised a narcissistic generation by catering and coddling to the things people want instead of the will of God. I know that's hard teaching, but is it maybe true that we've turned the church into a daycare where we cater to the cries of the people instead of the heart of the Father? Maybe we need to start giving people the heart of the Father instead of what they want so we can keep people in pews. Ah. Because God needs a generation of people that don't have to get what they want when they want it to be able to remain a faithful, steadfast worshiper. Wow. And the Bible says, watch this. But he answered and said, I am not sent unto the lost house. I am am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, he says to the Canaan lady, Watch this. I ain't sent to you because you're of another race. Well, nobody wants to hear that. I'm not sent to you because you're not a Jew. That's what he said to her. I'm sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I'm not sent to Canaanites well, I'm offended. I'm done. You don't like me because I'm not like you. You think you're better than me. Wow. They look down on me because I'm this way or I'm that way or my family's this way. My skin color's this way. My this is that. I can go on all day long. I've been pastoring 36 years, guys. Listen, I know why people choose to leave the church. And 90% of the excuses are, are they're not even legitimate. But it's how they perceive it to be. I need to preach. This woman, it wasn't perception. It was a fact. He said, I'm not sent to you. How could it be that she's crying out to him? How could he not have compassion? Her daughter is vexed with a demon. Her baby is suffering. And he has no compassion. I'm not sent to you. How many of us go home? At that point, we're out. At that point, we quit. At that point, we backslide. Or we go to another church where we'll feel more appreciated. To hear a gospel with a more deeper love. Oh, wow. A more sensitive pastor. Uh oh. To somebody who's more sympathetic. It wouldn't even matter if they healed her just so they had compassion. Sympathetic. At least they cared. Isn't that what happens in the church? We got people that run from the church because their feelings got hurt because they found companionship in a bar. Well, the people in the bar got more love than the people in the church, so we just left the church and ran to the bar. I'm talking about excuses that people really make in Christianity. You understand God's trying to raise up a greater generation than that. God's trying to raise up a people that are bigger than rejection. Because if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to follow, you're going to experience rejection. You're going to get overlooked and sometimes people's going to tell you they can't minister to you. How many times have we walked away from a church when somebody didn't show up at the hospital on time? Somebody didn't call and pray for me and I was going through something. Most people leave their ministries. They leave their callings. They leave their church. Because something happened that they don't understand. Where is a Job generation that says, God, though you slay me, I will trust you. Where is a generation of people that know the character and the heart of God even more than what the circumstances dictate to me? Oh, wow. Because watch what this woman does. The Bible said in verse 25, Then she came and worshipped Him. Everybody say, she worshipped Him. In the middle of rejection... In the middle of the disciples telling her to send her away. In the middle of Jesus himself telling her, I'm not called to you. She started worshiping. I want to know where that kind of worship is in the 21st century church. I want to know if this woman can worship in that state of of rejection, in that state of of, of condition, of, of running into a wall. Where is that kind of generation today? We haven't been confronted by Jesus and told that He wasn't sent to us. But we haven't worshipped past the pain, the rejection, the misrepresentation. Am Am I in the right place today? Because see, God's looking for somebody that said, I'm going to be a worshiper 24 hours a day. I'm not going to put it on hold because of my condition. I'm not going to put it on hold because I'm going through something or something somebody done to me. I'm going to be faithful to God. Whether I'm bleeding or whether I am celebrating, I am going to be faithful in my commitment to God. No matter the situation that shifts and changes around me, if my financial conditions shift, if my family environment shift, if my job environment shift, if the world around me shifts, if, if I'm attacked, if I'm, if I'm persecuted, I am not going to be moved from my position. Where is that kind of generation? That I am committed. I won't backslide. I won't become a prodigal. I won't become an orphan. Over how I feel. The Bible said she worshipped him and he answered. Everybody say he answered. In her worship, she cried, Lord, help me. And his answer to her is it is not for me to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. This is not a deacon. It's not an elder. It's not a member of the church. It's God incarnate in the flesh. It is not for me to give my bread to the dogs. This is the word of God to this woman. This is Jesus, Emmanuel, God incarnate in the flesh. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Are you with me? This is Him. This is is the great I Am. Telling her, it is not for me to throw my bread to the dogs. It belongs to the children of Israel. And in the rejection, she's worshiping. Tears are streaming down her face. You understand? By this time, I'm going to option B. Somebody else can get the job done. I'll go find Simon. For those of the Bible students, you understand what I'm saying? I'm gonna go find the sorcerer. I'm gonna find another method. I'm done with this. How many of us have walked out on the church? And we walked, up, walked out, gave up on the church. Well, I gave up on the church, but I didn't give up on God. Well, if you gave up on the church, you gave up on God. Wow. You say, oh, well, I don't believe that. Well, the Bible said that the church is the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. When you walk away from the church, honey, you're walking away from Him. This is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. If you would read the Bible, it's not an institution. It is a living body, and it's His. When I attack it, I'm attacking Him. Now, there may be some institutionalized dynamics of that that is not of God. I understand that. But you've got to understand, I can't walk away from the church. Uh-oh. Wow. Well, I ain't got to go to church to get to heaven. Well, you're going to have to go to church to live for God. Well, I don't believe that, preacher. Well, you ought to read your Bible. Then God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry till we come to the unity of the faith, faith and the fullness of the stature of Christ. So you're not going to get there without, without the gifts of the fivefold ministry. I need to preach in here tonight. Is that all right? I I just need to deal with that religious devil that may have crept in. I know those of you in our father's house don't believe that way. You know the truth. But you need to understand something that God gives gifts to humanity that is not perfect. And God uses those gifts to mature and develop us and to grow us up. To confront things and deal with things in our life to change us. Till we come into the image of Jesus is the whole message I'm preaching tonight. But see, you can't be in the image of Jesus if you run home every time you get hurt. Every time somebody does something that disappoints you, you become a part-time worshiper. See, God's got to have some full-time worshiper. I'm going to worship in the storm. I'm going to worship in rejection. I'm going to worship when I'm denied. I'm going to worship when I don't get what I want. I'm going to worship when I'm emotionally distraught. I'm not going to serve Him part-time. I'm in it all the time. And the Bible says that she replies to him at that moment. Let me just finish that statement about the church because I feel like I need to give you this word and then I'm, I'm going to move quick. I got, I got one or two more and I'm, I'm done and I won't preach them all, I promise. But I need you to hear this. I don't want you to be here in the morning. But I want you to hear this. The Bible said we are each members of his body. saved members. And the Bible said each member supplies to the other. Oh. Say it with me, each member supplies to the other. That means somebody's supplying to you and somebody you're supplying to somebody. What happens when you disconnect that part of the body from the rest of the body? Not only do you begin to wither and die, but whoever you were connected to begins to suffer as well. Somebody say I need the church. I can't just walk away. Not if the church is being the church. Boy, I nailed that religious spirit. I feel it. I I nailed it. And you're like, I'll cast it out in just a minute. Give Give me 10 minutes, I'll cast it out. I love you, I'm cutting up, but I will. You know what this woman says to Jesus? I'll eat the crumbs. I'll eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. I know who you are. I'll take your crumbs. I know who you are. I'm not going to quit because I know who you are. I'm not going to quit because you're the master. I'm not going to quit because I know you're the answer. I'm not going to quit because I know your heart. I need to teach you. I'm not going to quit because I know, I know who you are. I'm pulling on the nature of who you are. Not the circumstances of what I see, but the nature of who you are. Yeah. You're master. Yeah. My God. And if you want to tell me that, I'm okay with it, but I'm not going to quit worshiping. If I don't get it, I'm going to keep worshiping. I'll eat the crumbs. Yeah. Where's that generation? If this woman can worship in the heart of complete rejection, I got a question. What's your excuse? Then the Bible tells us of a, of a woman who was a sinner. Everybody say a sinner. Her sins were not secret. Her sins were public. Because the Bible says in the book of Matthew, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 38. That Jesus had accepted the invitation to a man's house named Simon who was a Pharisee. And the Bible says that this woman who was a sinner ran into Simon's house and came in from behind him and began to worship him. Everybody say worship. She began to weep over his feet and wipe. The tears with the hairs of her head. She took her alabaster box and her expensive house, the expensive perfume, a year's worth of salary, broke it, and began to pour it upon Jesus. Somebody say extravagant worship. And the most extravagant worship experience that we read about in the Bible came from a sinner. Running into an environment where she was going to be judged harshly, and she was. Because when she ran into the room and began to worship Jesus, Simon said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. In other words, the minute he started pointing his finger at her, condemning her, do you know what? Have you ever walked in a room and you felt like everybody in the room was looking at you? You understand? You were discerning something. You were feeling like everybody's eyes on me. I'm being judged. Because you can feel self-righteous judgment in a room. But how many of us have walked into a religiously stagnant environment where there wasn't an atmosphere like there was in here tonight and we gave in to that atmosphere of religion and we packed up our toys and we went home never worshiping God? Mm. Better yet than that, how many times have we walked away from prophetic words? Prophetic assignments? places that God established us at because the environment became stagnant. It became charged with an atmosphere that we weren't conducive to. And we let what they did affect what we do. See I don't go for that idea that well there was a religious spirit there. Well I'm asking you is the spirit in you greater than the spirit of religion that was there? Oh my! Because I got news for you. The authority that I have cast that spirit out. I didn't come in the room to be influenced by the atmosphere in the room. I came in to change the atmosphere of the room because I'm a worshiper regardless of the atmosphere that is around me. I came to set the atmosphere instead of be influenced by the atmosphere. And listen, just because there may be a whole world of religion around us, We've got to have a commitment to God that we don't quit because we see religious issues within the church. we got to be committed to worship, even when we're being judged and even when we're being condemned. But this woman came in despite her struggle with sin. See, we're taught if we're Christians and I've got a problem in my life, then I can't worship. Let me give you the scenario how we do that. Well, I know who she is. Look at her. She's up there singing in the choir. I know how she's been living. Hello, somebody. Do you realize for some people in this room, your freedom from the demons you've been dealing with is going to come through your worship? I'm going to say it again. Some of your freedom and deliverance is going to come when you get serious about worship. When you begin to worship Him in spirit and in truth, instead of worshiping Him out of routine and the emotions of the room, but you begin to worship Him for who you are, you may find that the sins you struggle with, you don't struggle with anymore because in the middle of your worship is where you find your freedom. Ha! We've got to worship past our problems and our struggles. Guys, in 36 years of full-time ministry, let me tell you something. As a believer, I've been hurt. I've been wounded. I've been scarred. I have dealt with unforgiveness. I have dealt with anger. I have dealt with bitterness. When I was in the world, I was a murderer. I was, a, I was ruthless. I had no respect for humanity. I had no love for no one. I was self-centered. I was a horrible human being. You don't understand when I got born again it transformed everything. But then after I got saved and after I went through some church stuff guess what it'll make you want to experience resurrection of the old man. There were days I wanted to I wanted to backslide to handle some church people I know you don't, I know you ain't hearing what I'm preaching. I wanted, listen, I wanted to backslide. I told a man one time, I said, you better get on your knees every day of your life till you die and pray Lance Johnson don't ever backslide. <laughs> I need you to understand, I'm not, a, I, I'm not bad in the text of bad, but I would have just killed him in his sleep. He don't want me to backslide. But the problem is, what is a preacher doing with feelings like that in his heart? What is a preacher doing with that kind of hurt and anger and rage? Why am I having thoughts like this of vindictiveness? I'm a believer. I've been preaching the gospel for 20 years, 15 years. Why am I having feelings like that? I've been preaching for over 30 years now. But but how how is it you can... Fight through the struggles because, see, even if you're not struggling with something right now, somewhere down the road there'll be a battle. I got to give this invitation. There's going to be somebody said there's going to be a battle. The key to overcoming your battles is not throwing in the towel because you blew it. You got to remain a worshipper. Even when you're struggling with sin, even when you're struggling with problems, not worshiping out of hypocrisy, but worshiping out of the revelation of who he is. Because if you keep worshiping, he changes those things in your life that you know are wrong. Ah, Because I didn't quit. I didn't walk away. I didn't throw in the towel. I kept on being faithful. I stayed in the word. I stayed in prayer. I stayed in worship. Because it's hard to worship God and pray in tongues and cuss your neighbor out of the same tongue. See, it's hard to harbor unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart when you're a real worshiper. Not worshipping out of feelings and emotions, but worshipping out of the revelation of who He is. And the Bible says that she came in and worshipped Him with the most extravagant worship, the entire Bible, and I'll, I'll dismiss with this, I'm going to ask the worship team to come because I, I, I really feel like tonight that the miracle is in worship right now. The miracle is in your worship tonight. I believe tonight that there's some people that have maybe stood on the sidelines and you've been fragile. And you've been, you've been, you've been wishy-washy. I hate to use that term, but you've been wishy-washy. You're, you're, you're fragile in the fact that you could be hurt and you could be in one week and out the week if a major shift change and a, and a major problem comes. It affects how your commitment to God is. But there was another person in the Bible. He was in a town called Gator And the Bible said that he had a legion of demons. Everybody say a legion. For those that don't know, some people translate it as 6,000 demons. I don't know there's all kind of speculations about it but it does all I know is there was a whole bunch of them and this man when he sees Jesus step out of the boat and on the shore a man with 6,000 demons runs from the tombs runs from the shackles and the chains and from the people that have been trying to restrain him he didn't run to do violence he didn't run to bring harm he ran to worship Jesus You understand 6,000 demons couldn't keep that man away from worship. What's our excuse? What's our excuse? Well, I've just been in a lot of spiritual warfare. How is it that a man in the tombs and a man who was suicidal and was cutting himself and throwing himself in the fire how is it that he could have a greater revelation of who Jesus is than people who are in the covenant that go to church, that hear sermons, that recite scriptures, that teach Sunday school classes? That they could, that this person could have a greater revelation of Him that six thousand demons could not keep Him from worship, and we talk about spiritual warfare guys I know it's real and I know there's a fight and I understand there's a battle but I understand that my God is greater than any other spirit on this planet he's greater than Jezebel he is greater than Ahab he is greater than Absalom he is greater than that the, 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 the divination he is greater than that python spirit he is greater than everything books have been written on he is greater And God needs a people that know who he is. They know their authority. And they say, God, I am not going to be defeated by any spiritual warfare. I will keep my hand to the plow. And I will remain a worshiper in the middle of whatever it is that i got to go through. I want you to stand with me all over the building. you're you're, you're, you're preaching you're preaching is tough I know it is but let let me explain something to you I love you enough to tell you the truth if you want what God's promised you you want to lay hold of the riches of what he died for you to receive you want to become a partaker and a recipient of everything that he paid for on the cross at Calvary and through the resurrection then you're going to have to become more steadfast than the circumstances and the feelings and the emotions around you. If you're going to be a minister that's going to shake a city, if you're going to be a church that's going to take a nation, if you're going to become a body of believers that are going to rattle the cages of hell, if you're going to become a generation that's going to impact this culture, take back our nation. Oh God, I want to preach it here. If you want to be a generation that your influence becomes greater than the influence of what's happening in Washington, D.C., you're gonna to have to become a little more committed worshiper. You're gonna to have to become more devoted because if this generation don't emerge with your dire commitment to God, we're gonna lose our generation, we're gonna lose our nation, we're gonna lose our families. My God, somebody's gotta emerge. Somebody's gotta stand up. Somebody's gotta say, God, I'll worship you in the middle of my pain. I'll worship you in rejection. I'll worship you through the fear. I'll worship you through the lack of understanding. I will worship you in the middle of my emotional mess. Putting my hand to the plow. Changes may come, but I'm steadfast. Circumstances may shift, but I'll remain faithful. God, I'm committed to you. I'm committed to the call. I want you to bow your head all over this building here in this room, you say, Bishop, I've been struggling. I've been going through stuff. I've not really been where I need to be committed to God. I've let circumstances move me, emotions affect me, and I've been unstable. But tonight, I'm I'm crying out to God. I'm crying out to God to make me a worshiper tonight, that I will worship in spirit. I will be led by the spirit of God, no matter what my environment is. I will be moved by the truth and not the circumstances around me. That your truth and your spirit will be what move me. Your truth and your spirit will be what I live by. Not the lies of the enemy, not the circumstances I see, not even the reality that I experience. But the truth and the spirit will be all that moves me. That's you in this room. Just say, Bishop, I'm ready. I want God to do something in me tonight. I want you right where you are to raise your hand in the count of three. Do it quickly. One, two, three. Raise them high. I want every man and woman in this room with your hand in the air come join me in this altar. Come on. I want you to come right now. We're about to worship through our pain. We're about to worship through the, through the battles. We're about to worship through the warfare. We're about to worship through the feelings. God, raise up a generation of worshipers. Raise up a generation of, of warriors tonight. Raise a generation of travailers tonight. Raise a generation of people that know how to cry out to you. Even when their emotions don't have words and they can't find verbiage. God, they will cry out in the worships of their glory I just wish somebody right now would begin to cry out. Somebody begin to cry out. Somebody just cry out to God. God